You are tired of average. You want more out of life. You know you're capable of something greater. This show will help you become resilient in your home, at work, and in your community. Welcome to the Resilient Humans Podcast with your host, Kevin Wood. All right, welcome back to the Resilient Humans Podcast. I have a special guest today. It's Danielle Faubert. And interestingly enough, uh, Danielle actually reached out to me. And that's that's a first. I enjoy this. Um, she's listened to a few of the podcasts. Uh, she was recommended by a, a mutual friend that we have. Um, so yeah, welcome, Danielle. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me today, Kevin. No problem. Uh, so I, I understand you just celebrated your 50th birthday. I did. How's that feel? Uh, it was a lot. Uh, it, it was a little bit easier than 40 because I think 40 was the first one where you kind of feel like, oh, that felt like a bit like a kick in the pants. Uh, 50 was, I was a little more prepared and I think I looked at it as a time more uh, celebrating because I thought so far in my life, my 40s were my best decade. And I feel now I have hope that maybe my 50s will be even better. It was also a time to take a little bit of stock, to kind of look around and say like, you know, what's happening in my life personally and and physically, mentally, emotionally, all that kind of stuff. And I went through an exercise where I, I did some stock taking and it made me feel better than I thought it would. So that was pretty positive. It's awesome. Yeah. And, you know, we should be happy that we're above the ground. Every and day. That's right. I may have mentioned this on a previous podcast, so if I'm repeating myself to the listeners, uh, I apologize. But do you know when it is, um, what ages do people sign up for marathons the most? Oh, it probably is over 50. It's anything that ends in zero. Oh, the big milestone birthdays. Yeah. yeah. They all want to do the big things, yeah. right? So we often use those, and it's definitely subconscious. It's not ne- not necessarily on purpose. Um, but when we reach those milestones, like you said, we kind of take stock mm-hmm. into what have we done so far with our life yeah. and then what can we do with what we have left? And those milestones are really important for that. I don't think we should stop. I think we should all do that. And that's, uh, and I think, I think you used it well. I think some people might be, um, hesitant to do that because I think they might be worried. I think pe- people would be surprised and I think you'd probably have more positive things on your list than you thought you did. And it might actually make you feel better. And just when getting ready for this podcast, when you sent me that intake form, one of the questions was, tell me something super fun or interesting about yourself. Right. So I thought, Oof. and I reached out to some friends and I said, <laughs> can you help me think of something interesting? And the stuff I got back, I said, I think I'm going to print this out and put it in a little book. And when I'm feeling down, read it about myself because it was pretty amazing. Some of the things people said. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So tell us a little bit about your background. Kind of, um, I know your, your fitness journey is a a big part of your life. Um, so when did all that kind of get started for you? Well, uh, and this is probably not going to be similar to maybe other people that you've talked with on the podcast, but I actually was not a person who liked physical activity. Um, I didn't like physical activity or exercising at all. Uh, when I was growing up, I was always overweight. I had I struggled with my weight and, you know, all the baggage that comes with that. And then when I got to high school, I kind of looked around and thought, huh, you know, if I want the boys to notice me, I'm going to have to do something about this situation. And the first physical activity club gym or whatever that I joined was 
a club on St. George Street, and I'm going to guess 1988, and it was called Body Perfect. And this was a, I'm going to call it a gym for lack of a better word. It was a gym that was designed primarily for women who wanted to exercise but didn't want to do the work. So the machines were designed to do the work for you. Interesting. So interesting. Uh, I wish I could have found pictures to show <laughs> you online, but just in the simplest example, there would be like a flat bed that you would lie on, but the bottom of the bed would lift your legs up and down. Okay. And the idea was if you didn't want to do anything, if you just want to lie there and let the machines do the work, at least your body, it was like passive yeah. move, movement or something. But you could make it a little harder. Like you could say, okay, I'm going to, you know, uh, flex my heels on the way down and point my toes on the way up. And I'm going to try to lift my legs a little bit off the bed. So it was sort of a good, I guess, safe, soft spot for a person with not a lot of experience in fitness and, and a dislike towards exercise to start. And what it did for me is it just, it, it gave me some awareness about my body and about exercises and body movements. And they would weigh you and they would measure you and, and things like that. And I was probably there for about a year or so. And, you know, I saw some improvements because I was finally moving and, and I was in high school. So I was doing the horrible high school girl diet thing where we all we ate was rice cakes and Diet Coke. And um, then they closed. They went into business. So I was kind of stuck, but I had another friend who had started going to fitness classes um, at the original Nautilus that was in Heritage Court, originally on the second floor of the Heritage Court before they moved to the basement. And she said, why don't you come try that? And I had the fortunate experience of going to my first fitness class where the instructor teaching the class was very understanding of how intimidating it is for people to try things for the first time. So she was excellent. She really made me feel comfortable, brought me right to the front of the class and said, no, you need to be able to see me, you need to be able to hear me, don't worry about everybody else. And I had a positive experience. So that opened up a new world for me. And then when I went away to university, um, I didn't find a gym that I loved. And I sort of looked around. This is very on brand for me. I sort of looked around and said, well, I could just do it myself. So I started teaching classes in the basement of my residence in my dorm. And that went pretty well. So that summer when I went home, um, one of the instructors at my gym asked me if I wanted to do my certification. And that kind of led into a whole new world. And what was incredibly positive about that experience for me is growing up as as an overweight kid you know the kid who always got picked last for gym right the kid that you just pray your athletic best friend got picked as one of the team captains so they wouldn't you wouldn't get picked dead last that time um to go to being at the front of a fitness class teaching a fitness class having people look at you and think you know you had some competency in this was such an amazing change for my confidence and my self-esteem and and just opened up a, a so fitness has stayed with me even when I did stop teaching um it remained a constant in my life because once you get used to being active you notice when you're not active yes and you can maybe let it go for a little while <laughs> but you're going to reach a point where you're like I just need to move cuz I just can't sit here anymore right for sure. Yeah. Did you find that you're, you really talked well about your first experience and, and how that was so positive. Do you think that, is that the reason why that became such a huge part of your life? Do you think it would have been different if that first experience wouldn't have been as positive? 
it, it's hard to say because I think that would be the case probably for the majority of people. But I have a weird element to my personality where I'm kind of like, I don't know if you remember those old blow up clown dolls that were weighted at the bottom that used to punch. Yeah, the bozo ball. Yeah, well, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. That's like me. Like, it doesn't matter how many times I get punched, I'm going to pop right back up. And it's not even a it's not even a quality to be admired. It's, it's, you know, sometimes I don't know when to quit. Sure. Um, so if I had had a bad experience the first time I suspect at that point in my life, my desire to be thin would have overrode, you know, any other fears or hesitations. And I would have just kept going till I found something I liked, but I do understand how important it is for people's first forays into fitness to be positive and and if you don't have a good experience how that could really set you back or hold you back from from keeping trying keeping trying to find something that works for sure yeah how did you when you were a fitness instructor what were the things that you did to help kind of encourage people to make sure that they had a great positive first experience so and and I asked you before we started uh, before we started talking your age because I wanted to sort of get a, a a gauge for the difference in our age. But in the late eighties, early nineties, when I broke into the fitness world, it was still very much the mindset that the instructor had to have the perfect ideal body. That was they were the person who was showing what the gym could do for you. They were the best advertisement. And, you know, people would even get asked questions like, oh, we'll hire you, but you need to drop 15 pounds, right? And I was just coming off the end of that, thankfully, otherwise they probably wouldn't have hired me. But I felt like it was important to show people that you don't have to have the perfect body to get benefits from fitness and, and to enjoy fitness. So I think I was a good role model from that respect. And I always, because of my own experiences in gym class, I was very um, welcoming to people who were new. I went out of my way to make them feel comfortable. I wanted to make sure they had a good experience so that they would come back. So at the beginning of my career, I was all about the beginner classes. Like people would say, oh, if you've never done it before, go to Danielle's class because she's really good at making you feel comfortable and whatnot. And just remembering your audience, like who's in these classes for the first time. Maybe there are other people that have been there a while, but I'm going to change things up a bit. Maybe do a little bit more instruction, maybe do something that's a little bit easier so people can feel a little bit confident. Um, And reminding people is as hard as it is to believe it. You feel like everybody is looking at you when you're exercising, but they are not looking at you. If you're in a class, they're looking at the instructor. And if you're just in the gym, they're probably more concerned about themselves and how they feel than worrying about somebody else in the gym, right? And when I would see a person come into the gym who was, you know, struggling, carrying some extra weight, my mindset was always good for them. Like they're, they're, they're really trying, like the, and really try to embrace that as opposed to, you know, if you can think back to, well, you were, you were a gym teacher, right? I was. Okay. Well, I'm going old school eighties gym teachers, right? Where, you know, they'd make you run around the gym till you threw up in the garbage can kind of thing. Not all, and this is a stereotype. Of course, there were some amazing gym teachers, but not all gym teachers back in that time had patience for kids that were not athletic or not fit. Right. Yeah. So I think having that in the back of my mind maybe made me a little bit more open. It gave you a sense of awareness that a lot of people maybe didn't have. 
Right. Right? Yeah. I remember, well, when I was a phys ed teacher, my grading, I guess, was based on improvement. So we would do an, an initial assessment and we'd run through different categories of fitness and we'd get an idea of where they were. But that didn't determine their grade. What determined their grade was if they improved from their initial. And how do you improve? You be consistent. Right. You keep showing up. You don't say, ah, I don't have my gym clothes today, you know, yes. five or six times in, in the month. Or the note from my mom. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Actually, in, in my cabinet right here, <laughs> I have a note uh, from a parent that said, my kid can't uh, do your gym class anymore because she's too sore. Anymore. Like not today, but anymore. Ever. Okay. Yeah. Because wow. she was a student athlete and she needed to be not sore for the sports that she was doing. Oh. I was like, that seems like a pretty lame excuse. And yeah. sounds like she needs to be doing more of the things that I'm prescribing for. Yeah. But anyway. Wow. No, my mom was not that kind. Uh, she did not struggle with her weight. So she loved anything that was going to get me moving. She didn't give me a lot of excuses to get a gym. Yeah. No, I'm, I, I'm glad to have some parents um, back in the day that were like that. They'd say like, yep, yeah, whatever you... It was actually a, a parent of a, t a couple students that I had that introduced me to CrossFit. He, oh. He's the one that told me about it. Yeah. Um, and then that's how I started doing CrossFit with my classes. And uh, it kind of grew from there. Well, I've, I've always found uh, physical education throughout the, you know, schooling so interesting and you know i feel like a lot of people i think i feel we don't do enough of it it needs to start earlier and there's got to be more hours in the day of it and that kind of thing but if i think back to that period in my life you know middle school high school gym class there was so much focus on the students who were already athletic and who were already playing sports and that wasn't necessarily the audience that needed the help or the inspiration. You know, it's it was, true, yeah. Yeah, like they're already on the team or they've been playing sports. It was, but the kids who really needed to understand what was involved in fitness and why it's important and how it could benefit you mentally and physically kind of got left aside a little bit. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. I remember doing my phys ed degree, <laughs> a lot of the professors were older and a lot of them even haven't been in front of students for like years. Right. So the things that they were teaching were all like very sport and tactic based and strategy based. And that really had nothing to do with it. Once, once I got in front of students, I was like, they don't need to learn the mechanics of a volleyball serve. Right. They need to move their bodies and start sweating. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so I would introduce different things. I, my idea, or I guess when I was a teacher, was I wanted to expose them to as many different concepts and ideas as possible. So we would do things that wasn't in a typical phys ed class. I'd take them out and we'd do parkour. Right. Like we'd just find some blocks and then jump over them and jump off of them and land in different ways. Um, we had wrestling mats at, our, at the last school I was at, and I just taught them how to grapple and wrestle. Right. And that was not a typical thing you would see in a regular phys ed class. Right. It was always basketball, floor hockey, soccer, and volleyball. Those and badminton. Those are the top five, right? Yeah, so exactly. I kind of got away. We still did those, but I always wanted to expose them to more. One time we did. Uh, we went outside and did like lawn games. So we did that spike ball. Um, what was another one? 
Uh, lawn bowling or lawn darts? Yes, uh, bocce ball is one of them. So these are all things that they're going to do. Frisbee, Ultimate Frisbee was another one I played with them a lot. Uh, And they loved it because it was very accessible to anybody. Can you grab a Frisbee and can you throw it? You don't need to be super fast to be able to run this, right? So, And I think we've made improvements. I mean, I'm sure the way phys ed classes are running now is very different from my, you know, 1986 experience. Um, I, I, we don't pick kids to pick teams anymore, I guess we, you count out numbers or whatever and make it random, that type of thing. Well, they still game that they still, they know if you're counting by fours, they're like one, two, three, four, and then they move with themselves and like, anyway, I had different ways of choosing teams that prevented all that from happening. Well, and I remember (laughs) when I, when my kids were in high school, there was yoga. Yeah. We did yoga too. Right. Yep. Which is fantastic. Um, but to your point, when, when we were growing up, it was your basic badminton, basketball, volleyball. We did have, uh, at the school I went to, we had a gym teacher that was in his own life was very involved in ballroom dancing. Oh wow. So he decided to bring that in, which I get where he was coming from. It was a great idea, but we were like 15 year old kids. We didn't want to learn how to ballroom dance. We wanted to learn to dance like MC Hammer and yeah, the music yeah. videos, right? So, yeah, it's a, it, to your point, it's about knowing your audience, but I think it's also about just trying to show kids the broadest spectrum. So, one thing might resonate with them yes. if they see 50 things as opposed to. For sure. Yeah. Um, so, you're. As you mentioned before, your fitness career wasn't as um, smooth and flat as uh, you may have hoped and wished, and you've definitely gone through some struggles along the way. Yeah. Can you start kind of describing some of those things, and uh, yeah, then we'll tap into what you've done uh, to help, I guess, manage them. Okay. So when I first started uh, working in the fitness industry, I was unmarried and had no kids. So had a lot of time, right, uh, to devote to it. And then uh, got out of university, started working full time, had a couple kids and realized that it's not as easy to work out for two hours every day as it was before. So I had to kind of switch my life around. I kept teaching for the first few years that I had my kids because for me, um, teaching classes made me accountable. So it forced me to go even when I didn't want to go. My name was on the schedule. If I didn't show up, there wasn't going to be a class. Uh, That really, really helped keep me on task. But once I had kids, it was like you wanted to be at home at supper time and have supper with your family. And those are big gym hours, especially class times, right? Right after work. So I had to move from the after work model to the lunchtime model, which was different because you're trying to cram a workout into a much shorter period of time. You want to have a shower so you can go back to work. It's it's a lot more work to work out at lunchtime than it is at the end of your workday. And I did that. But then there, there became, a, and it was a little bit different in those days too. Now, a lot of uh, group exercises, the, the programs are all pre-choreographed. The music is all done. Like, I don't know, you've heard of Les Mills. The gym buys the program and every nine weeks, the instructors get a new upload for the class it gives you your music like this is there was no internet internet we were making our music off of tapes tapes yeah. that tapes yeah. right? i remember when we moved to cds it felt like yeah, it yeah. was such a you know uh and it was just it, it was a lot of work raising two young kids and people would say oh i don't understand why you're giving up teaching you're going to the classes anyway can't you just teach 
And I think it was maybe harder for people to understand that to show up at a class and participate is not the same level of, of effort as constantly looking for new moves, constantly looking for new music, um, you know, and it, it get it, it can get pretty involved. Um, I was there when the advent of step aerobics came, right? Mm. Well, that was phenomenal, but it was just always pushing for more more choreography, more complex moves. And again, with no internet, uh, you'd go to workshops a couple of times a year and you'd try to steal stuff off other instructors, but you didn't have a lot of resources. So so I moved, I, I let go of my professional fitness career and was always a member at a gym, kept going to classes, um, tried really hard to incorporate fitness into my kids' lives from a really young age because I have such... A difficult relationship with food and with my weight I was very cognizant of that with kids and trying really hard to to build good habits for them and I recognize that when you're a person who's comfortable in a gym that is such an amazing thing no matter where you can go you can find a gym and you can go in and you it's like okay I know there's going to be a workout room I know there's going to be change rooms and and you can walk in and not feel that uncomfortable. Like I used to love traveling for work. Um, our building in Toronto had a gym in it and I would go to classes there because there'd be some amazing new stuff that they were doing in Toronto that we're doing here. But I wanted my kids to have that same freedom of not being intimidated and being able, okay, I've moved to a new city. I've gone to university. Where's the gym? It's the first thing you do. Find the gym, figure out the gym, make it a part of your life. Um, I think I lost my train of thought there, Kevin. Can you help me out? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, kind of bumps in the road along the way with yeah, your, uh, your fitness. Yeah, life. Yeah. Getting busy, you know, that whole, uh, where do you find the time to add an extra hour plus into your day of physical activity, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then you've had some physical complications kind of along the way that, prevented you from doing the things that you wanted to do? Yeah, so I developed a problem a problem with uh, chronic migraine headaches in, I was diagnosed with episodic migraines in 2010, and it just continued to devolve uh, until it, I guess, reached its peak in 2019, and I was downgraded to chronic migraine. So you're considered, uh, the difference between chronic migraine and episodic migraine, if you have a migraine headache, uh, 15 days or more a month, that's considered chronic migraine. Mm -hmm. So I average about 18 days a month with a migraine headache. And that was tough because you don't feel good and you certainly don't feel like working out. And it really kind of just, I felt like I hit a wall. And I remember going to an appointment, I'd gained, put some weight on and I don't know if you if this resonates with you, but for a lot of people, when you go to see a doctor and you're carrying extra weight, that becomes the focus of whatever the problem is. Like your toe could be broken, but if you lose 30 pounds, that will fix the problem kind of thing, right? Yep. And I'm not saying health and fitness is not important. It totally is. I just think somehow it can, it, it, it can close off the discussion and it can make people feel like they're backed into a corner. 
So I went to see a neurologist and, uh, you know, he's looking at me, middle-aged woman, 47, overweight. And he said, well, you need to start doing cardio. And I'm like, okay, what do you mean cardio? And he goes, really like blood pumping, drenched in sweat, cardio for two hours. He said, people who run marathons do not have migraine headaches. And I was like, okay. So I walked in there. I thought, I can do this. I know what heart pumping, sweat inducing cardio is. I can do this. So I started and it was giving me, it was inducing migraines. Mm. And then I felt like a loser because I thought, well, this neurologist who's a very educated person told me what the solution is and it's not working for me. I must be doing it wrong. Come to find out, I read research and exertion, physical exertion does bring on migraines. So to say that people who run marathons don't get migraines is just absolutely not true. So I thought I need to find a different way to exercise. I have to change, you know, my approach to fitness prior to that time in my life had always been all or nothing. If I didn't have 90 minutes to two hours to go to the gym and sweat my butt off, it wasn't worth doing. Okay. And I had to say, you're coming up on a different time in your life. You're dealing with health challenges. You're dealing with issues. Mentally, I had to go from an all or nothing approach to fitness to everything helps. Anything helps and everything helps. So it was slow at first. I started moving again because I was that person that there's no point going for a walk unless you're going to make it a power walk and, you yeah. know, right? So it's like, no, I'm going to start walking and maybe I'm just going to listen to an audiobook. And... As I started moving, you know what it's like when you start moving again, you start feeling better. And then I started thinking to myself, what were the times in my life where I was the most fit and felt the best about myself? And it was really back in the days when I was either teaching classes or going to classes. But I didn't feel like my knees were in a place where I could go back to that. I'd been doing Zumba and stuff like that, and I'd have to ice my knees after and the whole thing. So... It kind of just happened by mistake. I was at the beach and I thought, you know, I really like walking on the beach. And then I started getting in the water. I'm like, hey, when the water goes over your knees, it takes all the impact. Wait, this is aqua size. And it just kind of built from there. And the more I did it, I started remembering stuff that we used to do from years ago, all the different workouts I tried over the years and just incorporating elements that I liked about them. And I started to like it again and it felt good. So... I've just expanded on that as much as I can, and I'm going to hang my hat on that for as long as it goes. Nice. Yeah. And obviously this is about resilient humans. So how does this help you become more resilient? Well, I have to tell you, I did reach out to you, and I checked out your podcast, and I listened to a couple episodes in the trailer, and the first thing I thought was, oh, I can't do this because I'm, I'm the least resilient person I know. And then I thought, wait a minute, that can't be right. You have this chronic health condition that is pretty horrible and you're still on your feet a lot of the time and you're still getting up every day and trying to, to make the best out of what is not a great situation. Isn't that resilience? And then I thought, maybe I am resilient. <laughs> so then I thought, because I think for some people, there's an idea that, resilience equals success and I think people have very 
narrow ideas of what success is. And I think that needs to be a lot broader. And I think resilience is more about not how many goals you've achieved, but how you've kept trying. Right? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's more about the trying than than the achieving. What's what's your definition then of, of resilience? What is that to you? Resilience for me is not giving up. So and and I think you can give up for short periods of time and or I shouldn't say short, whatever period. I, I think you can go through periods of time in your life where you maybe are doing some version of giving up. But as long as you get back up, as long as you keep trying, as long as you try something else. And I feel a, a little bit disingenuous talking about this because um, there's an element to my personality where it's almost like it's not a choice. Like, I don't know how much information you have about people who deal with things like generalized anxiety disorder and anxiety, but you've heard about the whole flight, fright, uh, what is it, freeze? Fight and flight response. Right? Mm-hmm. And... The way I'm wired, the the more anxious I am, the harder I'm going to fight, the more things I'm going to try. So I feel a little bit bad because on one hand, I, I, I'm saying never give up and always keep going and always start, you know, always try something else. But that is a little bit hardwired in my brain. It's like, okay, that didn't work. Move on. What next? What's the next thing? What's the next thing we're going to try? And I know that not everybody is wired like that. And so it may not be, it's going to be harder for some people than it is for others. I just want to be honest about that because yeah. I didn't want people to think that, you know, I just woke up one day and said, oh, I'm just going to be this exemplary example of resilience. I feel like some of it kind of happened by luck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. And the point isn't to reach everybody. Like everybody's story is not going to resonate with every single person, but it, it, it will resonate with some and that's kind of the point. We're, we're talking to those some that it will resonate with. Right. Um, I like what you said about, <laughs> you, you kind of played both sides of the card there about not giving up, but if you do, it's okay, but just don't give up forever, right? Yeah. And I've, I've talked about that before where, you know, what the, the line of thinking is when you get knocked down, you get back up. Right. But my line of thinking is stay down for a minute or two realize why you got knocked down in the first place, learn something from it so that you don't get knocked down doing that same thing over and over and over again, because that's insanity. I love that because right? it, it it's because what I, I wanted to say when you were reiterating what we were talking about was there needs to be a place where people can feel that it's okay to fall down mm. and it's okay to stay down for a minute and yeah. think about it. Right. Because I think otherwise people think it reminds me very much of um, there was a commercial that for for I think it was Botox that used to play on CNN over and over and over the first year that I was home. And it was these women powering through their migraines. It was like, you know, these moms and they're carrying groceries and the kids are hanging off them. These corporate women that are like in the boardroom. It's like it was like I hated that commercial because it made me feel really bad about myself because I felt like you're showing me these people who are living with migraine and they're powering through and there's and I'm not I'm you know in bed throwing up right and there's got to be some space for people to feel like this is not going okay for me right now but it doesn't mean I it's not going to be okay like there's some there's got to be some space where 
seeing other people succeeding isn't going to make you feel pushed down. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We, we try to create that environment here at the gym as well. Like it's okay to fail. Just learn from it. That's it. Like we, we just try to provide that different perspective of you didn't fail. You just provided yourself with a learning opportunity. And even with my nutrition clients, it's the same thing. We all fall off the wagon. Right. Why? Yeah. Why did that happen? Oh, well, it was because this, that, and the other thing. Okay. Well, how can we address that so that this, that, and the other thing don't happen again? Right. Right. And then you hopefully learn from it and then you're more successful as you go, but you don't become successful by breezing through everything and being successful all the time. No, no person I know, whether it's personal, professional, physically, no matter what, um, went through life without failing at some aspect. We all have gone through those. And as long as you learn from it, you're going to be more successful in the long run. And if that's the case, if you ever run across a person who just breezed through and everything came to them easily and they've suffered no adversity, I don't think that's people that we should be necessarily um, celebrating. Or looking up to at right, all. Right, right. And I, I really like what you said about um, you know getting knocked down and staying down and figuring it out. My husband, his boss at work has an expression that she calls fail fast. Yeah. Yes. And she says, you're going to fail. It's going to happen. So let it happen fast and then spend your time figuring it out and getting back up as opposed to trying to maybe hold off this failure, right? Fighting it or struggling it. Right. Prolonging the inevitable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's what I I just got a recent tattoo about, about the bison and it's about, you know, heading into the storm when, when a, storm is coming over the mountains, yeah. a bison will go headfirst into it knowing that it's going to suck, but it will get through it sooner than if it tries to run away from it. It'll be caught in the storm much longer and probably die as a result. So be like a bison That's and just a good go headfirst into it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you have, I guess, to kind of wrap things up? I always ask the same question here at the end of all my podcasts. What practical advice do you have for people to become more resilient selves of of themselves? Um, So I hope you're going to have time for this, but I did actually make a list of the things I do to try to stay in a more positive headspace. Love it. Because I have this issue with chronic migraine headaches and I feel like it's not the best situation, I try to do everything I can to make the best out of the situation. And I'm going to preface this by saying that um, this is a work in progress. So I've made this list. These are things that resonate with me. These are things that I try really hard to do, and I don't always succeed. So if there are people out there who know me listening to this, I don't think she does that very well at all. I really (laughs) am trying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And I think it depends. Like when you're going through something, I think there's phases. Like I think there's an acute phase where whatever you're going through is at your worst. And then there's sort of like a maintenance phase and maybe even a preventative phase and different things are going to resonate with you at different times in your journey. Like that. So I could be saying like, for one thing, I'm going to talk about how um, I work really hard to keep my sense of humor, 
well, that may be harder for you to do when you're in the acute phase of something, right? So I don't mean these things to be trivial or trite. Uh, There's a reason cliches and platitudes stick around because they can be true a lot of the time, but they're not true for everybody all the time. I just wouldn't want anyone to feel like I'm I'm, um, taking some adversity that somebody's going through too lightly. Lightly, I'm throwing something at it like, that it should be so easy. Sure. Um, so all the basics are are important. Sleeping well, eating well, and being as physically active as possible. And I have heard you talk on other podcasts about sleep. Uh, sleep is very complex for a lot of people, as is food. And of those three things, sleeping, eating, and being physically active, I'm feeling really good about where I am with my physical activity physical activity right now I still have a lot of issues around sleeping and I still have a dysfunctional relationship with food that I am working on but those things are very important to feeling good for me I like a routine so everything from what I do when I get out of bed in the morning to what I do before I get back into bed at night I like to keep a fairly consistent routine because when I'm not feeling good mentally or something has gone off kilter, I can go back to the routine and it's comforting and I know it and it can help me get back into a better headspace. I try to do everything I can to take pleasure in even the smallest of things. So I have a lot of hobbies and interests and I pull them out when I'm feeling bad and I schedule time for them because I know doing these things are going to make me happy and give me better chance of staying happy. I talked about sense of humor. I think that's really important. Um, sometimes when I'm feeling low, I seek out uh, comedy shows. Like I'll go on Netflix and watch some comedians I like. Um, obviously, I mean, if you can, I love being with family and friends, hanging out with family and friends. That's the, the best source of comedy and, and laughing, hanging out with them. Positive self-talk. So self-talk, hey, Kevin, that's such a thing. That can be an entire podcast oh, in and of itself. Gosh, so much so. Somebody told me once, you should talk to yourself the way you talk to your best friend. And if you ever think about that, like if you're ever struggling with something and you listen to how you talk to yourself in your head, and then if that if that friend came to you with the same problem and what you would say to them, totally different, right? Yep, yep. So positive self-talk. For me, compartmentalization is a big thing. I've, I've worked hard to learn visualization techniques. I have a closet in my mind with like a million drawers and whatever that whatever negative thing that I'm trying to get away from, I put it in the drawer, shut the closet. I'm making it sound very easy. Obviously there's more to it. I've been told that I'm very good at doing that. Um, I just don't know how I've learned to do it. I know it's a skill and it has to be practice, but um, I was actually, I, I was talking with my mentor today. I'm very good at that in my personal life, but when it comes to the business, I have a very hard time with that. So he so gave he gave me a resource uh, to reach out to somebody specifically to to work on that. But anyway, for me it was the opposite. I was much better at these techniques in my professional life than I was in my personal life. It's interesting. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um, take so we talked about taking stock earlier. That's something that helps me keep in a positive headspace or try to be in a more positive headspace. I even at one point wrote out a gratitude list. Love it. And I take it out and I try to remind myself, it's like, okay, Danielle, you're having this migraine. You feel really sick right now. You know what? 
I've got this great pair of pajamas I'm wearing right now. They're super comfy. <laughs> I've got ice to put on my head. I've got pillows and a comfy bed. I don't have to worry about where my next meal is coming from or where I live. Like I have a lot to be grateful for. And this will not last forever kind of thing. Uh, then you've got the mindfulness, meditation, hypnotherapy. I had a great experience with hypnotherapy, which led into self-hypnosis and any good distractions, anything you can do. I had a friend tell me the other day, we were talking about um, moms and being uh, emotional and how you tend to cry at public events. And I said, oh, what, what happened at your daughter's graduation? You must have found that hard. She said, I was sitting there the whole time doing math problems in my head, trying not to cry. <laughs> but it's just, it's just a matter of kind of refocusing. The headspace you're in is not good. So you need to get in a different headspace. Yeah. So whatever tip or technique or trick you can do to do that is helpful. Oh, this is an old one from my mom. My mom was a big believer that if you are sick during the day, you can't be in the bed. You can only be on top of the bed. The bed had to be made and you couldn't be, <laughs> you could have a blanket. Interesting. But because there's some, have you, I don't know if you've experienced this, but there can be something so depressing about being in your bed with the shades pulled, which I need because of the migraine, and hearing the world go on outside around you. Huh. And something about being on top of the bed instead of in the bed is different. Or um, maybe if I'm sick during the daytime, I'm not in the bedroom at all. Maybe I'm on the couch in a yeah, different yeah. room, you know? Um, and sometimes... Uh, a migraine, I can have a migraine that can go on for multiple days and always try to make sure I find a way if there's a point that I'm feeling better to have a bath, have a shower and put on clean jammies because that feels better than not, right? Uh, I'm really good at pampering myself and I tried to do that a lot more since I've gotten sick so I don't just have a bath, I have a bubble bath and... I've eaten a piece of chocolate cake in the bubble bath. Uh, I like to get pedicures. I created a space for myself in my basement that I call my princess parlor. And it's a space just for me. And it's decorated pretty much the way my bedroom looked like when I was 15 years old. And I have little mini lights and pillows and a couch. And I go in there and it's just for me. I think asking for help is also important. Uh, that can be hard for a lot of people, but there are times where I just have to pick up the phone and say, I'm having a really hard time. Can you just talk to me for a little while? And I'm lucky enough to have friends who will do that. And you find out a lot about the people you know in your life when you do those types of things. Uh, also, I don't know how this would apply for everybody, but because my migraine situation is sort of like an on again, off again thing. I have a plan. So when I'm having a migraine, I go to my plan and, you know, this is what I'm going to do first. I'm going to take my medication. I'm going to brush and floss my teeth because it may be a while before I get to do that again. Get ice for my head, get my favorite jammies or my comfort clothes, my noise canceling headphones, my comfy spaces, and just try to distract myself and wait it out and keep reminding myself this too shall pass. Do you remember that song? You would have been younger. Do you remember Wilson Phillips, Hold On, Hold On for One More Day? Mm, okay. I think I'm, you're you dating go, me now. Oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. have to go look it up. Yeah. So it sounds terrible, and I don't want to 
um, to make it sound like I don't appreciate, you know, there are people that are struggling with some pretty serious things sure. and a song may not be the solution for you, but th- that song is hold on for one more day. So even if you can, even, even if you don't think you can hold on for 10 more days, just hold on for one more day. I've heard something very similar to that. Like if you're, if you're in the middle of something uh, very challenging and you just feel like giving up, it says you're allowed to quit. Just yes. not right now. Right. Yeah. Quit tomorrow, just not today. Or and 30, usually, 30 more seconds yeah, yeah, yeah. or one more minute or five more minutes. I've had to actually use that uh, in some of the endurance races that I've done. Like, this is really hard. I want to stop, but uh, I'm not going to quit now. I'll quit in an hour. Because the mental component is yeah. so strong for that type of and challenge, you, right? You get an hour in, you're like, okay, I didn't quit. Okay, I'm not going to quit for the next hour. Right, right. And you just keep kind of going. So yeah. it's kind of like mini, mini milestones, basically. Yeah. But yeah, for well, sure. Well, what do they say? How do you eat the elephant? One bite at a time. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Love that analogy. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, you gave a massive list here. These are like, uh, if anybody was listening, hopefully they had a pen and paper. And if not, we have the technology to rewind. And you can go back and kind of take notes and write some of these down. If, if any of them resonated with you, um, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about a lot of these before. The attitude of gratitude, that's one of the best things that I think people can do yeah. is appreciate what they have. Uh, you might be going through something challenging right now, but it won't last forever. It will end at some point. And just being grateful for that and having the opportunity to, to kind of see it in a, in a different light. And I've had people um, t- who I've spoken to about my migraines and they say, oh my gosh, like that's terrible. How do you, and it's, I always think to myself, yeah, what I'm going through is not great and somebody has it worse than I do. Yes. Yeah. So just changing your perspective is all it takes. Yeah. And yeah. I always say to people, don't feel sorry for me. I don't want you to feel sorry for me. I want to talk about it on an intellectual level because somebody might get something positive out of it. For sure. But people coming to me and and offering me sympathy, I know it's coming from a good place, but that does it almost makes me feel uncomfortable because I just feel like, no, it, it could be worse. Yeah. Yeah. Danielle, I want to really thank you for coming in today. I'm so glad that you reached out to me. Uh, this uh, conversation has been very insightful. Um, I hope a lot of people get, uh, again, some practical, useful advice. That's I've preached this before, but that's kind of the point of this podcast is I want it to be practical and useful. And I think you really checked off a, a lot of boxes for us today. So I want to thank you very much for coming in. Thank you, Kevin. I really appreciate that. I enjoyed myself tremendously. Right on. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest episodes, be sure to subscribe and I'll see you next time.